How do you handle adversity? You know, they classify the, the three standard responses to adversity as uh, flight, fight, or fright, which is freeze, to freeze up. I remember when I was working as an engineer uh, out on the West Coast that there was a, a time where we experienced an earthquake while I was at work. And I was working in the second story of a two-story building. It was uh, mostly glass on the walls, uh, uh, the kind of structure that really loved to flex with earthquakes. And so the earthquake was somewhere in the high fives, low sixes, and, and we really started to move. Well, there was an engineer in the next section over that as soon as that earthquake hit, he ran out of his section, down the long hallway, down the stairs, and out the door, and he was outside before the earthquake even finished. Uh, his response to adverse, adversity was flight. And, uh, and it may be that when, when you think about your own response, whether it's going to be to run away from a hardship or to, to stand there and go, I'll take it on. You bring it, and whatever the hardship, I'm going to be aggressive about it. Or whether it's you just find yourself just frozen in the place. You might say, well, it depends. It depends on the hardship I'm facing and how I respond and how I might be feeling that day. Let me give you an example. Um, so uh, when the pandemic first hit, I, I was the one who would venture out and, and I had the assignment of going in our house to uh, the grocery store and to go shopping. And there was this one, uh, my first foray out into the store I found myself in this uh, all-important aisle and I was standing there. And they did not have Tostitos Cantina traditional style chips. I tell you, I had all three of the responses at the same time. I felt like I just wanted to run away. Why even shop if they don't have Tostitos Cantina traditional chips? And then part of me just wanted to call out to the manager, manager, look in the shop in the back, look in the storehouses, call Tostitos, get those chips today. There was also part of me that just stood there in the aisle, aghast, just frozen. How could anybody even conceive of this kind of struggle, this kind of adverse situation? Okay, we know that that's just a silly little example, but we also know that uh, hardships come to us in all kinds of forms. And what might be a hardship for one person might be something that someone else sees as quite easy to make their way through. Maybe you've experienced hardships like the loss of a client that impacted your income. Maybe you, you lost your job entirely or maybe it was the loss of a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Of course, it's not just loss can be targeted racism. It could be declining health, the death of someone you love. You know, in our culture, one of the big hardships that people tend to face, or at least experience it as a hardship, is boredom. Not knowing what to do with it. And they run away trying to fill that space with distraction. Here's the thing about adversity. It serves up crucible moments you all know what a crucible is, a, often a, a little uh, ceramic bowl that, that you can put material in, whether it's some chemicals or, or compounds or 
um, uh, metal, and, and if you apply heat, it creates a disequilibrium in the substance, and oftentimes there's a separation, and the material will actually go through a transformation, a, a refining that takes place. Well, James writes to the 12 tribes, the, the people of God. There were these people who were uh, Jews that, that they understood that the Messiah had come in Jesus Christ. Only after his death and resurrection, these new Christians, these Jewish people who came to understand that Jesus is the Messiah, because of persecution, they, they left Jerusalem. And James, who stayed in Jerusalem, is writing to them to encourage them. These people were experiencing hardship, adversity. They had, uh, had to leave their homes. They had to leave their, uh, their employment. They had to find a, a new reality. And even the places that they went to would have been full of people who would not understand their new belief, their understanding that the Messiah had come. James writes to people confronting hardship, adversity. And so what we're going to do today is to take a look what uh, James has for them to understand, in particular, about their experience of hardship. We're actually going to look at a number of verses, but for our reading here at the beginning, we're just going to receive verses 2 through 4. Stay in your seats, but if you have your Bible, please open it. We'll put the words on the screen as well. This is James 1, verses 2 through 4. Hear the word of God. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing May God add his blessing to the reading of his word, not just this one section, but all of his word that we read today. And may God add his blessing to our conversation together. Before we jump into the text then, uh, let me just mention uh, uh, the, uh, the idea of a gyroscope. Now, many of you probably already know what a gyroscope is. In case, in case you don't, here's a, an example on the screen. This is of a toy gyroscope. Uh, a gyroscope at least this toy version, is such that there is an outer frame and that inside the outer frame is a wheel that can spin freely uh, irrespective of the outer frame so that uh, you can attach a string and pull on the string and that inner wheel will just spin and spin and spin. And as it does, it experiences angular momentum. The neat thing about a gyroscope is that that wheel wants to maintain its angular momentum, its spin. So you could spin it, and if you held it at an angle, at a, a, a angle and you were to just balance it on the end of that frame, that gyroscope will stay in that position. Now, if the, if the wheel wasn't spinning, it would absolutely fall. Uh, but the angular momentum keeps going. So you can understand how, how helpful this could be. If you're flying in an airplane know that it's using gyroscopes. And by the way, there's all kinds of gyroscopes. There's something as simple as a toy, but you can have electronic gyroscopes. You can have quantum gyroscopes. But in a plane, they use gyroscopes. Think about it. The gyroscope likes its orientation. It establishes orientation. And when the plane pitches and yaws, 
And if you have a gyroscope inside of a, some kind of a container, you can put sensors in that container. And as the plane moves and that gyroscope holds its position, holds its orientation, the pilot then can get the information and know how to respond to the plane's movement. They put gyroscopes in submarines. They, they put them in your phone. There it's a vibration. It's not a spinning, but a vibration that's going on. In fact, just as a tip of a hat to our Caterpillar friends, there's a, gyro, a gyroscope in the C-frame of the D6K2 track type tractor. I found it online. Yes, it's in the brochure. You can be assured of that. But what if we could have a gyroscope for day-to-day living? Something that would always tell us the right orientation, that would maintain such a a, a clarity about life that it would let us know um, how life is to be oriented What if there was something that could help us to maintain our orientation even when we felt like the world itself was shifting? Well, the basic message we're going to get from James is this. That God and his goodness, God and his goodness, which we know comes to us through Jesus Christ, that God and his goodness is meant to serve as our gyroscope. That no matter what adversary, adversarial situations we might find ourselves, no matter what hardship we might find ourselves in the midst of, that the goodness of God is always oriented correctly. And that can reestablish our sense of direction and well-being. All right, so with this in mind, let's take a look at the passage. Uh, we're going to begin here again with verses 2 through 4. And, and what we learn is that trials are a time for joy. Trials are a time for joy. Now, this can feel uh, counterintuitive. For instance, when you go down that aisle and Tostitos Cantina traditional trips aren't there, you don't feel like celebrating. Where's the joy in that? More importantly, if you lose your income or you're experiencing persecution, we know that there are a slate of feelings that we experience that don't feel very joyful. By the way, the Bible acknowledges this. The Bible acknowledges that as people, even people who follow God and know of God's goodness, that that these feelings of loss and grief and anxiety and fear are present in us. I've made mention before on a Sunday morning about a particular psalm that I, I love that it's in Scripture Uh, Because it speaks our heart. It speaks what we experience. This is Psalm 88. And this person is crying out to God. We'll just capture a couple of the verses. Beginning in verse 4, as this person cries out to God, listen to the feeling in the midst of this. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a person who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions of dark and deep. And if we jump down to the very last verse, you have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. And maybe we've experienced 
hardships, tough times, the world shifting, and we've had those feelings. God, where are you? God, don't you know how I feel in the midst of this loss, in the midst of this struggle? And we are given permission to call out. Trials are great times to call out to God and to let him know how we are feeling in those moments. So in light of this, what is James' point then? Well, here it's going to be helpful as we look at the actual words that James provides. We begin in verse 2 where it says, count. James calls out to us. He says, count or consider um, that when, we, when we're in that situation, the word he's using is, is a, a thinking word. Hey, hey, reflect upon your situation. You have the ability in the midst of your feelings to, to engage your mind and to think about what's happening around you. And he says, consider. And he says, consider all. The, the Greek word is pos. And, and he's not saying consider everything as joy. It's not as though everything is the direct object of considering. Rather, the word pas, it describes joy. It's this idea of consider it pure joy. Consider it joy to the extreme when you meet various trials. This idea of joy. We know that in the New Testament, Paul uh, will call people to rejoice. He actually instructs people Take your joy and act upon it. Would you act in a joyful way? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. But Paul will also describe it as something that God works in us. It's part of the fruit of the Spirit. That the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience. and That God works these things out in us. Well, James is saying, okay, think about it. You're in, a, you're in a tough situation. You're in a trial. Here's what I want you to do. Consider it pure joy. And so joy is this, and, and here scholars help us with the language of the time, that it was a deep, steady, unadulterated, grateful trust in God. Do you get that? A deep, steady, unadulterated, grateful trust in God. This, this kind of a commitment that's so deep and, and resounds, a connection. Consider it pure joy, this, this gratitude. I've read others before make the comment that, that gratitude is the gateway to joy, that, that there's sense of God's present in the midst of this. That's the encouragement. Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. And here's the, he gives a reason for this. He gives it to us actually in verse 12. And these become kind of a, a, a bookend a set of verses to what comes in between. We're going to look at what comes in between the verses in the weeks to come, but for us to capture the same idea. So he says, consider all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. And then down in verse 12, he picks up this idea. Well, be, before we get to verse 12, let, let me comment on this, that he, he gives the reason as this. It, it's the testing of our faith. And by the way, he uses a different word here. So trial and this different root word, testing. Th- think of this idea of, um, uh, of an obstacle course. You know that when you're on an obstacle course, it's not just the goal to get through the obstacle course, but the obstacle course becomes an opportunity to prove yourself. 
that, that, that you're proving your ability. And so you may go through it once. Maybe you don't even make it through the first time, but, but you keep at it, you keep going through it, and there's this sense of you're proving your athletic ability. You're, you're, proving, uh, you're, you're proving your commitment to improving. And so the same idea that, that the testing, well, it produces steadfastness. It's not just patience, like some kind of passive approach, or, but it's this engage. It tests, it proves your perseverance. And perseverance um, will have the effect of completeness, that when it's given its full effect, will be, bring about this perfection, this completeness. And the idea, we've talked about it before, there's a wholeness. And it's not just like a, a level of maturity. It's the maturity that brings on all the righteousness of God. That's what perseverance in times of trial brings about. Now, we know that we like being able to hold on to things. We like our life to be steady. And we like to be in control of our anchor points. When I was also uh, uh, living on the West Coast back in college, um, uh, one of my favorite classes, I think I've mentioned it before, but I loved my climbing class, my rock climbing class. Didn't get any credit for it. It didn't count for my major at all, but you had to take a recreation class, so I took rock climbing. And, and one of the things that they taught us was that, you know, you always want to have at least three appendages attached to the, to the rock wall at any time. That you only want to take one hand off or one foot off, but you don't really want any more than that. Every now and then you might have to. Every now and then you might be doing a dynamic move where you have to take uh, two or more appendages off the rock in order to get to the next place. But, but in the main, you want to have at least three. And that's the way I think we feel most of the time. We like having multiple anchor points that we can hold on to. And when life shakes us, when life disturbs us and we lose those anchor points, we get very anxious. And so what if there could be a hold that is so powerful that we could let go of other things in our life, that we wouldn't be overwhelmed? Well, in verse 12, what we do find out is that there is a hold that will always work. Notice what it says in verse 12. It says, um, uh, blessed is the person who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Notice those words, blessed and the crown of life. Listen, favored is the one. God's blessing is upon that person. Blessed is the one who goes through the trial and that they will receive the crown of life. We know that in Jesus Christ, we already have the gift of life, and that comes to its fullness when Jesus uh, returns. And it's so powerful. This victory in Jesus is so powerful, it's meant to define our here and now. Do you get it then? We like to have multiple holds, but the Bible says the best hold that we could ever have is God's hold on us. God's hold on us. So that when we come across any adverse situation, any trial, we can know, we can know that God is holding on us. So we go into trials, counting them joy. Well, J James has more to say on trials. And he talks about the other side of the testing. This comes to us in verses 13 through 15. There we find these words. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. 
But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So the second thing we can say about trials is that trials come with temptation. You know, when I found myself in that aisle without Tostitos, Cantina, traditional chips, what was I left to do? Well, then you have to buy potato chips, and potato chips come, you just need to get onion dip. And then you've got bad breath, and you feel just gross because you can't just have a few potato chips. You have to eat more. And God, why would you put me in this situation? James is correcting us. He says, don't blame God for the temptation. In the Greek, the word for testing and the word for temptation are the same word. And we're required then to look at context to know how the word should be interpreted. And here we know that the, that the use of this one word that he's already laid out there as testing or trial is now being translated as tempting. Don't blame God for the temptation that we experience. Here's how it works. Look at verse 14. We come across that phrase, lured and enticed by our own desires. The analogy is to a fishing environment, that, that you would, you would uh, throw a lure or you'd put, put some kind of bait out and there'd be this enticing and that you would carry it away. You would lure it back in. You'd carry it back in. Don't be lured and enticed by your own desires. You know, it's, it's that sense of, well, they don't have Tostitos. I know. Pork rinds sound really good. In whatever the situation we might find ourselves in, loss of job, persecution, uh, any kind of struggle, boredom, and we can feel that other desire. I know life is shaky. Life is not going the way I want it to. I'm going to do this. How dare God put me in this situation and be our feeling. And so we get this desire going on inside of us. I'm going to find my way out of this. You know what? I'm going to just start talking about other people in critical ways instead of talking to them in constructive ways. I'm going to go because I feel like this, I'm justified in doing this. In fact, we happen to believe that our disappointment justifies our rebellion. Our disappointment justifies our rebellion. Hey, if life gives me lemonade, I'm going to complain about it. I'm going to whine about it. I'm justified. I'm going I'm to act out because I didn't get what I wanted. Here's the assurance, though, and it came, comes to us at the beginning or the tail end of verse 13. Here's the assurance God cannot be tempted, and God tempts no one. That's the good news. In fact, we know it all the way through Scripture that, that God is celebrated as this one who is for us. Listen to Romans 8:31. If God is for us, who can stand against us? Or if we turn back to uh, Psalm 118, verse 6, the Lord is on my side. 
I will not fear. The Bible over and over again underscores God is for you. You know, temptations often occur during trials due to our desire for restored comfort. We just want equilibrium to be restored. And we're so often tempted to do that in the shortest, easiest way possible. But James helps us to understand when we look down in verse 15 that the desire for short-sighted comfort can lead us to sin, to make our choices instead of God's choices, to, to focus ourselves not on God's goodness, but, but on our despair in coming up with our own choices. And sin, in that midst of that crucible, if we heat up life and, and we're choosing our desires and, and the experience of that adversity, and, and that it would then lead to separation and death. It's so important for us to know that God is for us. And oftentimes, our own desires work against us. All right, so then let's finish up here in verses 16 through 17. Notice the connection here then. Uh, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And here's the point for us with regard to trials. God remains the source of good even in the midst of trials. God remains the source of good even in trials. God, rather than seeking our ruin, bears us good. He is the good gift giver. I remember when I first uh, went out for my uh, uh, a sports team, and I was in seventh grade at the time, and I decided to go out for soccer. And so this was a new experience for me. I had done, I think, t-ball before that, and I played sports at recess or whatever. But this was my first official going out for a team. And so at the end of the practice, and the coach said, okay, everybody line up on the line. And those of you who have been in sports, you've probably done this many, many times. But everyone line up the line. This is the end of practice. You've already given your all all afternoon long. And he says, okay, now I want you to run as fast as you can to the other end of the field. So I did, and everyone else did. And then he said, now run back. Okay, I thought we just ran here. Now you want us to run back. And you know what they're called. They're wind sprints, right? And wind sprints are no fun. I, at least maybe, maybe they're fun for you, but they're not fun for me. They were a hardship. And yet I also came to find out that because we did wind sprints, that they resulted in something good. We could play all game long without losing our stamina, that we would still be available to do things at the end of a game because we went through that challenge. Listen, God is good. God is at work. God is forming us into the image of Jesus Christ. And he's even present in the midst of our trials. He is the giver of good gifts. Get this. He is the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow um, of change. So the idea here is the father of lights, the father of the stars, the creator of the stars. Variations were how they referred, the word being used here, how they referred to the movement of the planets. 
in the shadow of change is how they would talk about the, the moon and the, and the change of the shape of the moon. That in the crater of the heavens, there's no variation, there's no shadow of change. His orientation, who he is, his goodness never changes. He's the giver of good gifts. And the best gift he's ever given is this, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we should be a kind of first fruits. In other words, our gyroscope, our understanding of the right orientation of life itself is God who loves us, the goodness of God. So what trials are still to come? I know you guys have been concerned. The grocery store did finally get resupplied with Tostitos, Cantina, traditional chips. But there may come a day when they run out. But some of us might also face major financial hardships. Maybe we might come across health news that we just don't want to have to confront. Maybe there's going to be brokenness in relationships. Listen, we know we're in a pandemic. We know that there are hardships associated more for some than others. And get this, that when we follow Jesus Christ, we know this, in the Bible it tells us that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you prioritize his teaching in your life, you will meet hardship in this world. Even though you choose to love others, they rejected Jesus for that. Faith in Christ meets hardship and adversity. We can count on it. This is what James says. Listen, the goodness of God is your orientation. The goodness of God is your gyroscope. In fact, it's so good, you can consider it all joy because the God who is good to you will use that hardship for your own maturation, for the steadfastness, for this maturing, for this completeness in you. Consider it pure joy because the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and when steadfastness has its full effect, you will be complete and perfect. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the giver of good gifts and that in Jesus Christ, the best gift came and that we get it that sometimes when simply because we stand for you in this world, that we will meet hardship. We also know that life itself comes with hardship. God, keep us from giving in to our desires for short-sighted solutions. God, keep us oriented rightly in your goodness. To you be the glory. In Christ's name, amen.